Hi, welcome to another episode of Forever Quest. Once again, we got a very special guest for you, somebody we've never had on before who's done something that we've never had a YouTube creator on this show before who knows a lot about lore. But before we get to that, what up, Sean? Hello, hello, how are you doing? It's nice to be here again. I'm excited to have a special guest on as well today. Um, there's uh, sometimes we don't get to touch on all the stratosphere, hemisphere, platospheres of, of the EQ world. But today we get to touch on one that we've never dove into before. And we get to touch on a subject that we both love and we know so little about um, the lore aspect of EQ, the, the thing that ties it all together. Um, and so we have somewhat of an expert on that subject as well. I go ahead. You get to go ahead and do it. Do the welcome. Well, get welcome it going. to the show, Bobby Bick. You be, you've come highly recommended. Several patrons have been like, you got to have Bobby Bick on. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, guys. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I've heard a lot about the podcast. I've listened to a few of your episodes now. And, uh, you know, I love what you guys are doing. It's really great seeing all this EverQuest media starting to come to light in the recent years. I think people are kind of getting reinvigorated in the EverQuest game with how much Dark Ball had been, you know, kind of pushing these new TLPs out there. Yeah, I also wonder if it has something to do with COVID because EQ is a very time-consuming game that a lot of people who played it back in the day love very, very much. And I wonder if having you know a period of time where people were spending a little bit of time at home caused this game to reinvigorate. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people, at least I know for me, I got into EverQuest when I was really young and had unlimited amounts of time to play it basically after school. And as we got older, you know, time to play got lesser, but now that we're all sitting at home and go back and enjoy those things we used to when we were kids. Yeah, there's there's a lot of platforms now and there's a lot of people that make the time to to be able to do these things now, too. I think I've, it's, it's it is fascinating. There, There's all it's also generational now. Like we have people in our guild where their their father is playing or their kids are playing. And I, you know, I, I remember that at the very end of my EverQuest adventuring that that was starting to happen. But now to see like multi-generations within the same guild, I don't know. I think that's pretty cool. Before we get into a bunch of the questions, uh, right off the bat, Bobby, please tell the listeners where to find you. Because I know you make a lot of content. Uh, well, I have a YouTube that I post to somewhat infrequently. Uh, you just find it by looking at Bobby Bick on YouTube. I'm sure there's not a lot of me out there. I also do a little bit of streaming on Twitch at Bobby Bick. Um, but, you know, you can always just find me if you look around the EQ forums. I'm sure I'm trolling some sort of thread and adding my two cents into whatever conversation that probably doesn't need it. <laughs> now, I see on the YouTube videos that you do a lot on lore. Is that something that you got into way back in 99? I've heard uh, a lot of times I ask people, why do you love this game? Everybody's got their different reasons. Some people, especially the most hardcore people, seem to say the lore is deeper than almost any other mmorpg and so is that what got you the lore actually is something that i only recently got into um in this starting in probably about 2017 2018 when i played this game when i was younger you know i wasn't really paying attention to the story or any of the characters i was just you know trying to figure out which zone i should be in and it, whether this mob is going to kill me or not Wait, so but, were you like me where they would be, they would say a whole story, but in little parentheses, it would say crush bone belts. So you're like, I don't care about all the other words in the text. I know they want crush bone belts. I'm out of here. I'm not reading anything else. Oh yeah, totally. Crush bone belts, hand them the belt, leave. I don't need to read any yeah, of that. Me text. too. That's <laughs> me too. I play with my wife. She's like, what are you doing? There's a story here. I'm like, I don't care. There's the XP back in crush bone. Get out of here. I think, you know, that's, that's kind of a problem with my generation. We're all go, 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 skip the story. We want action. But the other part is the original EverQuest expansions and even some of the later ones don't do a great job of kind of telling you that there's a story. You kind of got to go looking for it. It reminds me actually a lot about Dark Souls in that regard. If you've ever played any of the Dark Souls games, there's a story there, but a lot of players will go through the whole game not never really discovering it. And I think EverQuest has a lot of similarities with it there's a there's a big there's a thing that 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 when you're playing dungeons and dragons and when you're writing modules for D, D that happens where it's either a railroad or a sandbox that you're trying to create 
and I'm not going to go into the depths of that, but just briefly, like a, a railroad is exactly what it sounds like. Like you can't do anything but stay on the rails in order to go through the adventure. And a sandbox is exactly that, this giant thing that you can interact with everything. And I think EverQuest did an exceptional job of creating both of allowing you to have these paths if you want to take them that are kind of narrow and focused or that it's just this expansive giant world that you can go and explore. And that there, I think other games have been challenged to do that and some have come close, but I think that's one thing that EverQuest did that that really sets it off. It's a, it's a well-written module. It's a well-written module, that's funny. Yeah. yeah, I think MMOs in general are probably hard for developers to really kind of write a story for because you know if you start as an ogre the story you're getting is completely different than somebody that starts as a gnome for example so you've got to write i mean in everquest you have 14 different races off the bat are you going to write amazing stories for every single one of them or are you going to kind of generalize a little bit and then have a overarching story that everyone kind of gets hmm. and you know i can't imagine being a developer for a game like this and you know you spend hours and hours making something realizing that only a small fraction of the population is going to see <laughs> it really hooks some of them though some people like zade god who we've had on the show who people love he loves the lore and i think that's what keeps them coming back so i think that's also important that they did infuse all that into it and how did they have the time from what i understand they didn't even have a huge team when they made this so those people must have been burning the midnight oil coming up with all this lore and stuff yeah, it's it's really impressive what they managed to get done with the time frame. So they had. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that that was it. I'm sorry. I'm done. So I want to talk about the lore a little bit, starting from the beginning, because we've had some people on who have given us stories of certain places, but there's still the big picture that I don't quite understand. And I did a little research and explained to Sean that everything started when I believe it was Brel. Well, Vishan showed up. Claude Norath is like, I like this place. Then Brel shows up and he's like, what's this Vishan doing here? I tell you what, I'm going to hang out underground, not let anybody know I'm here. And then I believe three others show up, uh, Prexus, Tunair, and uh, Ralos Zek, or was it? I think it was Ralos. So three others show up and then Brel's like, hey guys, let's form a team and keep an eye on Vishan. But the whole time Brel was not telling the other three that he was living underground already making dwarves and stuff. So that's kind of where my storyline ends as far as I know like what happened we've had other people come on they've told little stories here and there but do you know kind of where the story goes from there you now have these four gods on the planet you have vishan where how do you know how the story develops from there yeah you actually you pretty much nailed the beginning part i'm yes you know, good well done there you know more <laughs> than probably most of the uh the player base yeah bro comes down he kind of sees that Vishan has already been working her little dragonlings and he decides oh, I'll make some races too. And he starts doing some little races and then he gets into a, a kind of little team with the other three gods and they say, okay, let's all make some races down here and we'll keep an eye on Vishan because we don't want her getting too strong and taking over this planet. We want to get in on this as well. And so they all agree to kind of make one or two races, but secretly Brel's making, you know, 10 or 15 because he's down on the earth where no one can see what he's doing. Right, and isn't he doing like kobolds and gnolls? Not just good guys, right? Basically anything that lives underground? Oh, he's making everything he can think of. You know, he's he's just kind of whatever pops in Brel's mind, he's making. Golems, kobolds, no, no, not, not I, I think he did make the gnolls too. I can't remember that one specifically. But yeah, he, he had his hand in a lot of little uh, cookie jars. And then the other gods that weren't part of that initial pact, they see what's going on too. And so they come down and they want to make races as well. And so you've got this giant melting pot of all these gods creations kind of coming together. And that's kind of where the story of EverQuest begins is you've got all these races that have kind of developed sentience and they've established themselves in various parts of the world. And then that's the beginning of EverQuest 1999. We all make our classes and we're going out and exploring this world. Sweet. Now, Prexus is one of the gods, which surprised me because that's not somebody I hear about very much. Like Tunair, I hear about because if I make an elf, I know it worships Tunair. I don't know who worships Prexus, and I don't really know anything about her. Is it like the water god? Is that right? Yeah, Prexus is the god of water. Uh, he resides over the three smaller water gods, which are uh, Povar, Isi, which is ice, and uh, I can't remember the last one. It's it's an 
it's a anagram of steam i want to say wow cool but he's uh primarily worshipped by erudites and this other race alarans in a much later expansion but okay. yeah we don't really see much about prexus in game unless you go to kedge right because that's a, is that like a temple made for prexus, prexus? yeah yeah the kedge worship prexus and are kind of like his primary race that he created but the kedge have all been wiped out due to you know bad experiments gone wrong so then how does this culminate so you have the three because i kind of i know there's all these side stories but i want to focus on these these four gods who come down they're keeping an eye on vishan what is their interaction with vishan then going forward do they keep an eye on vishan do they fight with vishan do they try to kick vishan out what, where do those parties interact with each other down the road um vishan's kind of an enigma in the everquest lore she just kind of comes and goes as she pleases she did she dropped her little race of dragons on norath and then just kind of pieced out from there she went on to if you ever played the omens of war expansion her lore kind of comes up again later down the line she apparently had a little bit to do with the fight that happened on kua but other than that like the gods just kind of end up having a little bit of infighting on norath and vishan just leaves to do her own thing <laughs> it's funny they like start a pack to watch vishan and then they end up just that that becomes a side story they end up fight infighting that's great yeah interrupt comes down and just crashes the party and from then on interrupt just pretty much becomes the main antagonist against all the other gods he and kazakh Thul have a little bit of an understanding because they're both you know they represent hate and fear so you know all the evil gods kind of mingle a little bit but they don't really get along that much interesting yeah got, i got more questions sean you got any before i jump back in again no i'm i'm fascinated right now i'm i'm i'm, I'm when you said that Enric was the 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 god that kind of messed everything up i want to know you know what was the first thing he did and and what did it cause and, and how did that expand oh for sure so you know tunera was one of those initial three that brell brought down to partake in the creation of races and the race that Tuner created were the elves of Tuneria, which is now known as Antonica. Those elves, you know, Interrux saw them. He was jealous that he wasn't invited to the party. So he just <laughs> kidnaps the king and queen elf, submits them to hundreds of years of torture. What? And ends up creating the dark elves as a result. Really? Yeah. Oh my that's, goodness. That's the origin story for dark elves. They're products of torture. So do dark elves worship Interrux by default? Yeah. Yeah, oh. that's why uh he is their patron god. Okay, so then what about half elves and high elves? Do they have a way of how they came into being? Were they there from the very beginning? Tuner's like, "Okay, I'm going to create elves, half elves and high elves." Boom. So that's the continuation of the Interrux story. Uh once he had kidnapped the king and queen elf, a little bit down the line, Fenenro, not Fenenro, sorry. The other row, which one is he? Solusek row. He's not happy with how the elves have kind of spread out over the whole continent. And he raises up the mountains of serpent spine, basically causes a massive fire across all of Tunaria. And the elves trying to get away, flee to Fadwar and settle in a couple different areas. Some become the wood elves of Kelethin and the others become the high elves of Felwith. Oh, the as elves far... started on Anatonica, like you said. And when you said that, I'm like, no, they didn't. I always have to go over to the east, over on Fadwar. So you're saying that's like their refuge. Like they were like immigrants yeah, almost. They were yeah, like basically, yeah. They had to they had to leave because their whole their whole the whole continent went scorched earth. We have the desert of Roe, which used to be this massive, massive forest where all the elves lived. Really? But after after the fires came through, it's now just a desert. Okay, now I got more questions. So you said Roe is a person, Solasek Roe is a dude, and you mentioned there's another Roe, Fennin or something? Who are these people? I didn't know Solasek Roe was a person. I just thought it was a place you did your quests or whatever. So uh, Fennin Roe is the god of fire. The four primary, like, high, I don't know what you would call them, the high element gods are Fennin Roe, which represents fire, Kornav, which represents water, um, Zegany, which represents air, and the Wrath Council, which represents Earth. Uh, Fenenro being one of the like primary element gods, has a, a son, Solusek Ro, which represents like fire and flame. And the Ro family, they're kind of they're kind of mean. 
I don't really have a, a lot of sympathy towards mortals. And when Solusekro burned the forest and drove the elves away, uh, he, he made a lot of enemies in the process. But for some reasons, wizards really love him. Okay, so are all these uh, gods or leaders of the elements, like the Wrath Council and stuff like that, are these as powerful as the gods, or would you almost consider these like deities or demigods, not quite as powerful as like Tuneran Praxis and stuff like that? It's really hard to say. In, um, in terms of like just overall raw power, I would say they're probably about equivalent to most of the high tier, higher tier gods. They have the ability to create planes of existence. They can... You know, the Wrath Council can raise up mountains and create Earth. And, you know, it was it was their combined efforts that basically led to the creation of Norath itself. When uh, when the planet was coming together, these four elements kind of shaped the masses and created the land and the Earth and the skies and all that. So you could argue they were there even before Vishan and the four gods. Yes. Ah, see, Sean, I told you. Oh, yeah, you mentioned that, like, never. <laughs> That's why you asked all those perfect questions. So if, if they're equivalent in power, is there is there a ranking? And if there if there is not a ranking as far as power in, in actuality, is there a power ranking as far as gameplay is concerned? And does that change? Oh, you could definitely make a, a tier list of the gods if you wanted to. Uh, if you do the Planes of Power expansion... The element, the uh, four elemental gods will actually be some of the last things you fight. And in the final raid of that expansion, Plane of Time, the four elemental gods come together to create the Dragon Quarm, which is kind of the last-ditch effort to stop mortals from interacting with Zabuxarox and kind of discovering all the weird timey-wimey stuff that he can control. Wait, wait, wait. You just mm -hmm. mentioned a couple of new names there. What is Zabuxarox? Yeah, I'm probably butchering that name myself. There's about five x's in that name and a bunch of o's and u's but he's this uh weird deranged looking guy that you rescue at the very ends of plane of uh the, the plane of time raid and uh he kind of just warps everyone back in time because as it turns out mortals shouldn't be you know defeating the gods he comes into play a little bit more down the line in a couple future expansions but it's really hard to explain his lore in fact i don't even know all of it myself you're, you're pulling out you're pulling out my heartstrings right now because that that is where we quit playing everquest was playing a time and part of the reason why i stopped was because i was trying to get my flag from the god of water and i drowned and it was like the most devastating Ooh. experience yeah it was it was pretty bad it was a bad experience he had waited months to try to get it because speaking of fomo sean talks about fomo a lot on this mm -hmm. show and we hit a point yeah. in playing a power because we were playing back in kunark but when playing a power came out we started raiding hardcore i started playing a lot i got my character ahead of his i got playing of time keyed and then i was trying to help sean catch up i'm like oh they're about to do the earth key and sean would jump on and get the earth key and then he couldn't get the water key because nobody would go do water again. Apparently, everybody hated doing water hated back it, then. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, nope, we're not doing water, not doing water. Everybody already has water. Sean's like, I don't have water. <laughs> so finally, some other guild was doing it. We were invited with. Sean's like, finally, it's been like two or three months. I can finally get my key. And do you want to describe how you died? Oh, like exactly oh. how it went down? No, we don't, story. we don't need to wait, waste Bobby's time. We can do that some other time. He, he gets it. He's I'll, help you, I'll help you farm a fishbone earring if you want to do that quest on mischief. <laughs> that's true. All you needed was underwater oh, breathing, Sean, and all would have worked out because you just drowned. Well, that's part of the story. That's part of the story. Like it's, I was a ranger and I, oh God, it just, it got, it just got bad and bad. Yeah, I should have. And I didn't, to be honest with you, I probably didn't even know about the fishbone earring at that time. If I did, I was uh, not able to get it. All right, so you mentioned Planes of Power, which actually I'm very fond of. I love that expansion. I know it's a very divisive expansion. Some people didn't like it because it was all about keys and high-end content. I loved it. It's when I started raiding. I went to all those zones, really enjoyed them. One I really enjoyed was Valor, which I believe is Mithril Mar's place. Can you tell me anything about that guy? Because I don't know anything about Valor and Mithril Mar. Oh, Mithaniel Mar. That's a, that's a weird part of EverQuest lore that I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to talk about, actually. Because um, it's difficult or because it's it's like touch and go like there's it's, some it's a little stuff. it's a little weird, honestly. So Nathaniel Mar is a, a twin. His twin sister is a Rolasi Mar and they're kind of the, the Mar twins, whatever. 
Um, his lore kind of goes all the way back to the beginning. They're actually the creators of the barbarian race, even though the barbarians don't worship them. Nathaniel Mar possessed something called the gift of life, which allowed him, to, I guess, to create races. It's not really explained very well what it is, but Kazakh Thul wanted to get a hold of it. And so he ended up kidnapping Nathaniel Mar and torturing him using, you know, fear and his daughter, Teres Thul, the goddess of nightmares. Uh, and they basically wanted to drive Nathaniel Mar mad uh, in the, but uh, I'm trying to remember the name. Moral Thule, Moral Thule, which is Kazakh Thule's son, the god of dreams. I know there's, there's a lot of different gods. I like they'll have a weird names and abilities. This is very impressive too. Before yeah, the yeah. podcast, I'm like, can I ask you lore questions? We won't go too deep. You're like, okay, yeah, because I, I don't go too deep. You go deep, mm -hmm. dude. Like, <laughs> you know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know the the bad thing is, I'm I'm sure I'm messing some stuff up, and uh, the people that want to correct me will let me know after the sure. fact when they hear no, this absolutely. i'm gonna get all i'm gonna get all kinds of pings and let me know bobby you were wrong that is not how that worked but that's one percent of the people listening to this podcast and yes that's, they are they are vocal but they are not the majority that's right the not the 95 percent won't fact check me so i could just say whatever <laughs> but uh yeah so moral thule kind of came to nathaniel marr in his dreams he kind of spirited away the gift of life. I don't know how he got it from him. And he used half of it. He dropped it in the Inethul Swamp, which is the swamp outside of Grob, the troll city. And that ended up creating the Frogluck race. And he used the other half. And this is kind of where it gets a little weird. Um, he came to Aralasi Mar, which is Nathaniel Mar's sister. And he implanted the gift of life into her. And she gave birth to the barbarians. Oh, wow. And I've noticed the barbarians, it's really hard to raise your faction with them. It's almost like they're an insular race that doesn't really, I don't know. It's its hard. Like we were evil races and we're like, how can we raise our faction and go in there? There's like almost no way. It seems like they're kind of off on their own doing their own thing. Yeah, I feel like the barbarians, I, I mean, I don't know the exact timeline, but it does feel like they were kind of created in the, in the latter parts of the development because they're just kind of thrown there. Everfrost doesn't seem like it was very well developed. Like it seems like there should be another exit that leads to Karana or something, right. because <laughs> the only way to get there is going through a Knoll cave. How do you get like goods and wagons through there? It doesn't seem to be a very well thought out location for a major city. But, you know, I'm not I'm not developing the game. But Sean and I like it because that means we can go XP and permafrost and it's not overcrowded, even though it is one of the best zones to XP in. That's true. It has a really good modifier, but yeah, it is out there. If you don't have a group of friends willing to make the trek, good luck convincing just yeah. random people in general chat. Yeah, there's not a lot out there. It, it, but it does it does provide like a really nice level progression to um through the whole dungeon there. It's 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 a really good place to level. Yeah, I want to say we did like 25 through 35 there or something. Um Freeport uh Freeport's a little run down, right? Like it's not like a wealthy city. Is there a story behind that? Because you were saying like the Desert of Roe used to be a forest. Did the city of Freeport used to be something different from what we see in the game? I think the city of Freeport is just, yeah, what you said. It's just kind of like a den of thieves. There's a big power struggle between the Freeport militia and the Paladins of Mar. Both want to kind of control the city. The Paladins of Mar kind of have more noble aspirations for it. Whereas the Freeport militia are kind of like a, basically just like a big gang of thugs wanting to tax the people. They, you know, you see their, their toll gates in the middle of common lands that are, you know, you can just go around it, but they still want to, they, <laughs> they want to take some money from the people. And that, that's why that's kind of the power struggle. They don't, the whole city can't really develop because both of those two factions are kind of always at war with each other. Uh, it's it's also just a melting pot because you've got the ogres and the trolls from the south that are kind of intermingling as well as the dark elves. And it's just it's just this huge melting pot of all kinds of races. And so the city. It's accepting towards outsiders, but as a result, it's not really developing. So does that mean like morally I can convince myself it's OK to kill the Freeport militia and like sell their fine steel and, and helm? Like I've always had a hard time with, like, as a good character doing that. But now that you've told me the lore here, I feel like I'm just going to go kill them. I don't have a problem with that anymore. Oh, for sure. They're led by a lich after all. So why not? Wait, what? Yeah. Sir Lucan Delir, the uh, 
I guess he's the head of the Freeport militia. I believe he's, that is um isn't that Tony Garcia? I had heard one of the original developers, that's his character. Oh, maybe. I know a lot of the early like big mythological characters and the big iconic characters for EverQuest were based around the developers D&D campaigns. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised. But yeah, Lucan is a lich and you kill him as part of the Paladin Epic quest to obtain Soulfire. It's a little step. You'll go in there, you challenge him, you kill him once and he comes back as a skeleton and you kill him again and take his head. Nice. All right. So I'm sure you can both school me on this because Sean knows a lot about Dungeons and Dragons. I thought lich were always female. Is that is lich just more like a race and there's male and female lich? Sean doesn't know. He has no, no clue. I, I do. I was just giving space for Bobby. Uh, I'll, I'll defer to Sean on this. My my D&D knowledge is basically restricted to Baldur's Gate 2 and the Thaco system. <laughs> nice. Thaco, oh, yeah. Armor oh class negative three. Bring it. Yeah. yeah. To hit armor class zero. Um, so liches, it's not it's not male or female. It's, it's just the way by which a lich is something that has a phylactery. It was alive at one point in time. Its soul is being trapped now in this phylactery. And so that's why it has eternal life. Oh, okay. I knew that yeah. anyway. We see a number of liches in EverQuest. We get the, uh, the Lich of Miracle, which roams Everfrost. He's also part of the Paladin Epic. Uh, you've got Lucan, which is kind of a lich in hiding. And then you've got a big one in Veneral Sathir, which is kind of like an, I guess he's an arc lich, if you want to call him that. Yeah. Uh, and he comes into play a lot in the story. Yeah. So he, didn't he steal, am I saying Firiona Vi? I think I always miss, miss, uh, pronounce that her name. I call her Ferona. Firiona is also, I'm sure, acceptable. Ferona Vi? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he didn't he like kidnap her and that's the beginning of the Kunark story. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'm uh, you know, kudos again for knowing that little factoid. Well, we we read the Jim Lee comic book. So oh, there you go. And there's like a little <laughs> synopsis of it in there. Yeah, the Front of Ice story is actually kind of the main driving force but uh, behind the first three expansions. She and her little merry band of I don't know what you would call them, but she's got a few friends that she goes on adventures with. And they initially made a journey into Kunark. They came across the dragons, and the dragons didn't want other races coming to Kunark. So they wiped her memories, and they flung all of her and her companions back to, like, Antonica and Fadwar. And, if, like, over the course of a year, Tunair gets some of her memories back, and Tunair helps kind of guide her. She gets the life guide, which is her little iconic staff we see her with on the cover of the box art. And after getting her memories back, she decides to go on a voyage back to Kunark to figure out, you know, why do these dragons take my memories? What's happening here? We got to get to the bottom of this. She goes off, but she gets kidnapped or waylaid in the process by Veneral Sathir's agents. And, you know, the, the forces of good call for aid from the other adventurers to come rescue Fronavai. And that's the start of the Kunark expansion. So is is there um, a time or is there something that existed where like where Vishan was prior to coming here and scratching this place and where Vishan goes when when, you know, not around? Is there another place that they talk about or does another place exist where that is? That's kind of the black hole of lore is pretty much anything to do with Vishan. They really I think it's because she's such. They kind of wrote themselves into a weird position because she's gigantic. Like she's big enough that, you know, she clawed at the surface and, you know, multiple zones have claw marks in them. So they can't really put her on the planet or anything. She can't be a part of a raid. Otherwise, we'd just be, you know, like using toothpicks against one of her claws. <laughs> uh, but as far as I know, the, the gods were created before Norath. And then she kind of flies off. Finds Norath, claws it, and then just leaves and goes and does other stuff with the other planets. I don't think so, she's ever come back. So we've all been waiting for the next edition of EverQuest to come out. The, the you know the one that's updated or however you want to say it. EQ three. Yeah. Would it, it. would it be possible or would it be an idea to take that idea, that set of lore, and say okay? Let's go to this place where Vishan has infected new and start afresh and, and allow mm. the game to develop from there. 
Definitely. I think there's a lot of potential lore with Bishan and her journeys that have taken place while we're doing dealing with all the other stuff that's gone on on Norath. You know, she she could be sowing races across all kinds of planets out there. They're probably all dragons and live players might be tired of fighting dragons, but I, well, I, hey, it's I, also, I like fighting dragons. Isn't it also worms and drakes? You know, she's it's not just dragons with her, right? Don't worms and drakes spawn from her as well? That's true. That's true. She's Tons kind of, the, of mo variety. the mother of dragons and dragon kind. All right. I got some questions that are a little off of lore here. And let's start with Vishan since you brought it up. I mean, I hate to bring up who's going to kill, uh, who's going to wake the sleeper in P99. I hate to get messy, <laughs> but you brought it up. So let's talk about it. All so right. for, I want to wonder, it's kind of a two-part question. Was What is your opinion of the game developers making a encounter that can only be done once because i've never heard of another video game doing this and for those who don't know who haven't been listening to this podcast sleepers tomb you can only wake the sleeper once per server whoever does it they're the only people who ever get to do it and it never gets to happen again i don't know of another game who did it what do you think of that approach and second of all on these p99 servers where they're re-going through classic do you have an opinion on like should the most powerful guilds uh wake the sleeper because they deserved it they put in a ton of work or should they not even though knowing somebody else may come in and do it to open up the content to everybody that's a really tricky question and i feel like no matter how i answer it somebody's gonna be mad but oh absolutely i'll just, I'll just give my opinion <laughs> i i think that at the time it was developed it made sense but it doesn't make sense in the game sphere that we exist in now because back then, you know, we didn't have websites that told you exactly how to progress through every zone, what you have to do to, you know, spawn the sleeper and have all that go off. And so there was a bit of a mystery. Like people didn't know what was going to happen when they woke him. They just, they accidentally did it. But nowadays people just want to play the game and they want to see the stuff that they didn't get to see when they were younger. And I don't really think that there's a reason to not allow them to do that if they're willing to put in the effort, but maybe they don't have the time to be there at three o'clock in the morning when a guild decides, Oh, we're going to wake the sleeper because this other guild made us really mad. Right. And to be clear to everybody, this is something that kind of the light bulb went off in my head about a month ago. You don't get anything for killing the sleeper. It doesn't give you anything. All you do is you shut the door on everybody behind you. Yeah. Actually, you usually just get killed because Sleeper wakes up and just rampages through the whole zone and kills everything. There right. used to be a, a really neat event and a script that went along with it where Sleeper would, you know, he'd wake up, he'd do everything. All of the dragons across Norath, if they were alive, they would shout an emote in their zone. Like Nagafen would be like, he's finally awake. Our savior has come to destroy wow. everyone. Lady, wow. Lady Vox would do something. And if you happen to be in their zone, you would catch their little flavor text. But, you know. Most of this didn't come to light until years later because nobody was, you know, most people weren't sitting in permafrost when the sleeper was being awoke. And that was ages back. Right. Because it only happened once. Like you had to be there at that one time yeah, when live it, was happening back then. If you weren't there, you just missed it. And then he, that would happen and he would just leave sleeper's tomb. He'd rampage across eastern wastes and great divide. I think he even went to Sky Shrine and went and killed Lord Yelenak. But all that doesn't work anymore. Some Something broke in the script over the years. And so Sleeper will just wake up. He'll kill some stuff around him and despawn. And that's it. You don't that's see him it. again for another, you know, 15 expansions. Wow. Do you have uh did you ever kill the Sleeper? I, I, uh, I killed him in a much later expansion in his weakened form, but I don't really think that would count. I did wake him up on a server, though. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, not kill the sleeper, wake him up. That, that's what I meant. So you were part of the killing the four dragons, waking up the sleeper on a server? Yeah, we did that on Finnegal's server. There was uh, some posturing between a bunch of different guilds. You know, we're going to wake him up. No, no, we're not actually going to wake him up. We're going to wake <laughs> him up. And eventually it just got to a point where we're like, all right, fine, we're going to go wake him up because you guys are pretending you're going to do it and we're right. actually going to do it. It seems very much like that scene in Batman uh, Dark Knight where the two groups of people are on the boat and they each have a detonation device to explode the other boat. It's like they're not it's it's weird. It's this weird situation. Neither guild is getting anything for waking up the sleeper. But at the same time, if they don't, they're afraid somebody else will and they won't get the experience. It's yeah. a really, really weird dynamic since you don't actually get anything for it. You just That's have like the you, you can say you did it. You were there when it happened, but you don't get anything. 
So, Bobby, how how did you feel afterwards? Did you feel good? Did it feel exhilarating? Were you, were you like, eh? How to feel? It's good. Just kind of, eh. You know, I checked checked off the little box. Woke the sleeper. I don't want to do this again. And uh, you know, the vitriol we got from the server after that was incredible. We our guilds were our guild was bound in Kale Drackel, the big giant zone, because we you know we wanted to be there quick if raids popped. Uh, but that wasn't safe anymore because people were just training our bind locations over and over oh and over. My gosh. It was all deserved. Well, I mean, we deserved every bit we got because, you know, those guilds wanted to keep killing the dragons and getting their loot. But we kind of stopped them from being able to do that. Yeah. And I don't want to dunk on it too much. We have Zade got on here. I've already already mentioned him once. And he said, yeah, he's absolutely if he's in a position, he's waking the sleeper because he runs a guild and that's what his people want. They're like, we want to play this again to wake the sleeper. And he feels like it's his job to give them that experience. And to him, he has no qualms about it. He's like, no, as soon as another guild looks like they're going to do it, we're doing it because that's why we play the game. That's why we came back to do it because we want to have this experience and we put in the hours to accomplish it. Yeah, there's definitely that sense of, you know, the, the big guild on the server wants to say that they did all the stuff. And if you're the one that didn't kill or wake up the sleeper, your rival guild's going to remind you every right. month for the next three years. <laughs> yeah, you might have beaten us that time, but we're the ones that woke the sleeper. Yep. Yeah, that's and a title that only one guild can hold forever. That's right. That's it. That's I think that's another reason why it's the biggest prize. I don't, I don't think it has anything to do with the loot. I think it has to it has to do with that your guild has the tag and no one ever and there's the only thing that your guild will only can say that we have and only we have. Right. Yeah. But I also imagine how many people just stop playing after that. They're like, I woke the sleeper, time to go play Wasteland 3 or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a big drop off between like the late Velius era and the late Planes of Power era. I think that's I don't know if it's because P99 people really like classic through Velius or that's where a lot of nostalgia kind of ends for people. I do think the later expansions are good, but I also kind of acknowledge that from a casual point of view and from just like an approachable point of view, EverQuest kind of takes a big tonal shift in the later eras where you can't just get a random group of six players together and go off and have an adventure. You kind of got to tailor your group a little bit to make sure that you're not going to be able or you're going to be able to survive in the zones you go to. So do you have favorite and least favorite expansions? Oh yeah, for sure. My, my favorite expansion is uh, probably not a popular one. It's legacy of Yakisha. <laughs> and uh, wait, is that when frog looks came out? Yeah, that's the frog look expansion. It, it was, gosh, it was barely even, I don't know if you would call it an expansion. It was kind of a feature pack. That was when we got armor dies and we got shared. I think it was shared bank. Uh, the frog luck race and we got a few a handful of zones like gunthak and dulac and nadox i just i love frog lucks and i love the zones that came with the uh legacy of yakisha they're zones that i always try to go to if i'm leveling a character i just mm. i love the theme of them the whole like undead trolls undead skeletons the necromancy that's going on i think it's a really underused expansion and i wish that they had developed it a little bit more I don't think Please. you're alone there either. I think a lot of people love Frog Lux. You know, Upper Gook and Lower Gook, I don't think they're just popular for the loot and the XP. People are just drawn to Frog Lux for some reason. I loved playing one because I love it when you would do a backflip whenever I cast like an Ice Comet or whatever. Oh, yeah, they have great animations. They Later on, later on I don't know if you played live anytime, there's Frog Luck Monks now. And man, their flying kick, their flying kick and their punch animations, they look like the old battle toads. They do this massive fist uppercut and oh, it's so good. Did you ever play EverQuest 2? I played a monk, Frogluck monk in EverQuest 2 and it was pretty dope. Yeah, I played EverQuest 2 for a number of years. When it first came out, I didn't really love the game that much. I ended up going the wow direction for a little while, but I did come back to it later on down the line in like kingdom of sky echoes of fade war ruins of kunark yeah. and those eras were so good yeah. whenever quest was good or whenever quest 2 was good i think it was really really good but it also had some real bad lows which i think is kind of what ended up making the game where it is now yeah i agree I don't remember the real bad lows, honestly. I barely remember EverQuest 2 other than a couple of like end zone raids that for some reason are stuck in my head. Why didn't EverQuest 2 take off in your opinion? What are the core reasons of why a lot of people don't still play this game? In the beginning, it was 
it had some real bad penalties for dying. Like EverQuest 1 has penalties for dying. You know, you lose XP. EverQuest 2 had something similar, but if someone in your group died, the whole group had to pay off their XP debt. So if everyone died, you would have to spend like almost probably an hour re-grinding that XP back to where you would start being able to progress again. Sorry, excuse me. No problem. And you know, you'd have to run back to your gravestone to get parts of the XP back. The zones were just kind of weirdly, they were there. It was kind of hard to figure out where you should be going, how you should be itemizing. But it was also a new MMO. That's to be expected. I, I think it just, WoW coming out was so much more approachable to most players. And it also came on the back of Warcraft 3, which was immensely popular. I loved Warcraft 3. And so when World of Warcraft came out, I just couldn't, even though I loved EverQuest, I love the Warcraft lore a bit more and the promise of being able to kind of go off and do what I want in a new game was more enticing to me at the time. It was so overpopulated too. The zones were so overpopulated and any new content that came out, like, you know, there, there would be people that would press so hard. Everybody pressed so hard to get to the end content. And then there would be this stage where like everybody had gotten their Epic or whatever. And, and it just, everybody would be gone. And that's especially when WoW popped into and EverQuest 2, when those both happened, everything, I feel like everybody got pulled in the, in the single click the, or the move towards a single click rather than having to put all this input into playing the game. I think that just really drove people to, to WOW. Uh, mm-hmm. EQ2 in the later eras, which is kind of where I thought the game hit the lowest of the lows. The the game has a problem with ability bloat. If you've played or if you've logged on to Live EQ, Live EQ has the same problem, and I think EQ2s is even worse. They have ability bloat and they have stat bloat, which uh I, I let me I'm trying I'm using technical words kind of. The the stats on on items have gotten to the point where it's really hard to keep going. They have to keep introducing new stats so yeah. that players feel like they're getting stronger, and all that is is kicking the can further down the road. Right. Yeah, they, and so, in, in Magic the Gathering, they call it power creep. When they come out yeah. with a set that's too powerful, then they're like, oh, does the next set have to be more powerful for people to buy it? Yeah, the power creep in EverQuest 2 has gotten, I mean, has gotten is not is an understatement. It's gotten out of hand probably 10 years ago. And at this point, it's basically an unrecognizable game as to what it used to be. WoW has kind of stopped this by doing stat squishes a number of times, and it would be great if EverQuest 2 and EverQuest 1 could do it, but on the system and the hardware that they have, I don't know if that would even be possible. Yeah, and it, it's... Um, it, once you start, once you hit a certain point with stats on anything, it's, it, it gets... Yeah, it gets weird. It doesn't really... Sorry, it stops to affect the game. They tried to fix it with AAs too, right? Like they tried to fix it with giving you these alternate abilities. Did, do you think that that worked in any way? Or was that just a, like you said, kicking the can further down the road? Yeah, it just more kicking the can. This, yeah. The AAs did things to kind of like allow you to tailor your character around a little bit, but sure. pretty quickly everyone figured out the optimal AAs to pick. And so everyone just ended up being the same cookie cutter class anyway. I think it's kind of fun when uh, I see some of the characters on live or TLP and the gear they have. And then Sean and I are currently still mostly playing P99, but we do plan on getting on to Mischief when it comes out. Plus, we have played a little bit with the TLPs. But on P99, and we're like in our 50s now, we're getting near endgame stuff. We're raiding all the endgame things for the most part. Like, we'll get, you know, a piece of legs that's like 20 AC five wisdom 10 save magic 10 hit points and we're like this is amazing <laughs> this is the best piece of gear i've ever seen and then you look at live and what they're getting at level five and it's a whole different ball game yeah live, live servers have some interesting gear i was i've been messing around on a live server recently just to kind of have something to do between now and when mischief comes out mm. and some of the items don't have required levels on them they're they're kind of hidden but I found a some stat food. If you've ever used stat food in EverQuest, if you have it in a top slot, yeah. it'll give you the stats. There's some spaghetti that gives you, <laughs> yeah, spaghetti of all things. It gives you 2,000 HP and like what? 120 AC. So you just have this this plate of spaghetti in your top slot of your inventory, oh my and gosh. your level one character is now about as strong as a level 50 P99 character. 
and you're just running around and you feel like a god but you have to be real careful that you don't actually eat your spaghetti yeah right because then you just you die you fall over because you lose 2000 hp i don't think really so. funny how do you how do you make sure you don't eat it i need i need to know that trick how, how do you make sure if you uh if you force feed yourself some other food you won't eat the food in your top slot so if you're just sitting there spam clicking like a head of lettuce or some jum jum you won't eat the spaghetti so you just and, gotta make sure you're mashing it all the time and when you are eating the jum jum or whatever when you're full it won't eat anymore right it'll stop you from eating it so you can't just plow through it right it'll say your belly's too full to eat anymore you gotta wait a little bit okay all right do you have a, a least favorite everquest expansion or when it lost you for a little bit i know we just we ducked out when a lot of people did during gates of discord i believe I would say mine is I have two, but for different reasons. The first is Prophecy of Row, which is a level the last level 70 expansion. Uh, I think a lot of TLP players would agree that it's kind of a weak era of EverQuest. A lot of, you know, this was the fourth level 70 expansion in a row, and players were just kind of tired of being level 70. You know, it's just a number. Yeah. But mm -hmm. you like seeing the numbers go up. There's yeah. there's there's all kinds of games out there based around just making numbers go up. Right. And the final zones of Prophecy of Road just kind of felt a little bland. There wasn't the story was really, really disjointed. Most players probably don't understand the story. Even reading the story, I barely understand the story. And, you know, a lot, it's just a kind of a mediocre expansion. It also was the expansion that revamped Freeport from the old Freeport we all knew and loved. We, you know, horse poop on the ground, Boomba the Big standing there at the gate. To the freeport we now have which is this kind of just brown blob of a mass that oh. everyone kind of hates that's unfortunate you said you had a couple uh least favorites is there another one and the other one uh lore wise is seeds of destruction which was the level 85 expansion seeds of destruction entered introduced like large-scale time travel whoa that's yeah the players end up going back to like old Queen old Kinos. <laughs> I almost butchered that. Oh, we're gonna do okay. How do you say is it Lucklin or Lucelin? Oh gosh. I say Lucklin. I okay. say Lucklin. All right. But when I when I'm doing like narration, I'll actually go back and forth. I'll say Lucelin and then the next sentence I'll say Lucklin. That way I'm just making everybody mad and I feel like no one's getting slighted. <laughs> Sow or so. So yeah. Om or wait. What's I heard somebody say om um, different um, um, um. Wait, is that what people say? I've I've heard somebody say um. something different than om. It's um. Um or om? Um, definitely um. Yeah, it's um. That's not what I say. I say om. Obviously. If I hear <laughs> if I hear om, I think I'm like talking about audio equipment. Or, or I'm I'm getting ready to chant. Om. All right. Best best uh, buff in the game. Is it uh clarity, spirit of wolf, or shrink? CeeLo's accelerating chorus. Come on, it's shrink. Get with no, it. Damn, he hit no. you with some bard stuff right there. I almost no. swore. <laughs> I buff block shrink. If I'm making an ogre, I've made what? a conscious, I've made a conscious decision that I want to be large. And I don't want anybody fat shaming me. I don't want them shrinking me. <laughs> if I want to shrink, I'll click a potion. And if you cast a shrink on me, we're gonna have trouble. Now, uh, if we're, it, we're you know, if we're in a small dungeon, you can shrink me once. One one is okay. What is your favorite class, Bard? I, I think so, yeah. Bard Bard has just always been like a class that I've played. It was the first character that I ever really got into a raiding guild in. I was a real casual player back when EverQuest first came out. You know, I was playing it eight hours a day, but I wasn't really making any progress. I'd make a character, get it to about level 20, make a new character, get it to about level 20. Yeah. My original account, you know, if I went into any server, you would just see a smattering of characters, all names, races. <laughs> yeah, level 20. Were you trying to get a surname? Is that what your goal was? I got another surname. I think that was usually just when XP would start to slow down, and I oh, like okay. seeing progress quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you so don't want, want to play did... P99 then, that's for sure. No, no. I, I, I like the idea of P99, and I'll play it every now and then. I'll get to about level 10, and then it just slows to a crawl. I got to find a group, and I, I just I can't do it. Dude, I don't have it level... in me anymore. We're in level 54 right now, trying to get Sean out of 54. No, no wait, 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 wait. We, we are not in level 54. I finally got my cleric out of 54, but Sean's enchanter is still in 54. And oh my God, it we're talking like weeks because we, we only play for usually like two hours at a time or something. 
it, it's taking weeks and weeks to get him out of 54. It's crazy. Yeah, I, just, I can't do it anymore. I don't, I don't know, even know how I managed to hit 65 the first time I did. Uh, I leveled my bard back when you could still like pull an entire zone and run it in circles, mm -hmm. but I was on dial up. So I would do this and like every third pull, my internet would just kind of like <laughs> flicker for a second. And when you've got a hundred monsters chasing you two feet behind you, if your internet even like hiccups, they yeah, catch up done. and you're dead. You're and I wasn't smart enough to get reses. So I would just eat the deaths. Yeah. So it was basically three steps forward, two and a half steps back. And it took me a long time to level up. If a bard is fully geared and played by somebody who is really good at the game versus uh same same scenario um enchanter is a bard more op like I, I feel like i feel like they are i feel like they are maybe the best class in everquest when they're played by somebody who knows how to play is, them it, hold on geared. say what server sean because uh, chanters Any. are op on no because they're different because they get nerfed in live that's true but i'll, I'll just it's, all right i'll still say bards are better in either in either case like in, in p99 or when when again with those criteria that i laid out there i mean i'm not saying i'm not i'm not wrong i'm just I'm asking the question i would say in the grand scheme of things bards are definitely probably one of the strongest classes in the game they're also but they can also be extremely weak if you're a party of two a bard is doing almost nothing for you but if you're in a party of six you know because of the fact that they're all, all their buffs hit everyone you get exponential power increases for every additional person you add to the group. Uh, whereas Enchanter, if you're two people, you got an Enchanter and a healer, you can charm something and just go to town. You don't need anybody else. Yeah. I love Bard, though. If I'm if I'm like boxing or you doing my own group, I always try to fit a Bard in. Even if it's two or three people, I just love the fact that they kind of bring everything that you need. Yeah. So you're the first person we've had on who creates uh, YouTube content. I checked it out and you got a bunch out there. Is that something you started with or did you start streaming and then start making YouTube content? I think I started streaming first. I've, I've been streaming for a few years now. Uh, I only started streaming EverQuest semi-seriously last year, which is about when I started doing the uh, YouTube stuff. And the YouTube stuff was really just kind of an extra creative outlet. I wanted to tell the lore stories. It started with, I did like a little lore synopsis for my guild in a jokey manner. You know, I was using curse words and all kinds of slang to describe the story of, I think it was depths of dark hollow because the guild didn't know what the story was. And I wanted, you know, to let them know. And they liked it. There was good positive feedback about it. And I thought, well, maybe I should kind of do a real video about this, tone the language down a little <laughs> bit, make it a little bit more approachable. And it was, it was a lot of fun. You know, I learned a lot of stuff about the lore that I didn't know. If the listeners are enjoying this talk about lore, there's a spe specific video I encourage you to go check out from Bobby. And it's about um, uh, Tuner coming from the Plain of Growth and how there was a will-o'-wisp in the Plain of Growth that ended up leaving and causing some, some things to unravel. Let's say that. Yeah, the story of Galith and how it ties in with Feronavai and Lannis is uh, really interesting. And that that kind of goes back to how Feronavai's story is a big driving force behind the first few expansions. She kind of fell out of favor later on, even though she's, she's still the box art character, the mascot of EverQuest. She goes a little MIA for about, I don't know, 18 out of 26 expansions. Okay. She does make a comeback later on, but it's kind of a throwaway reference, which was a little unfortunate. How much effort does it take to make those lore videos? Because obviously there's a, a video component to all of it as well that you're clipping together. Yeah, that's the big reason why my YouTube uploads are pretty infrequent. It takes, I don't have an exact figure, but I would say an hour to produce one minute of video. Ooh. Yeah, I I really messed up by starting with video. I should have just done audio only. And I could have, I could have told all the stories and then later go back and do video if I felt like embellishing it. And I might end up doing that, kind of just transition it to more like SoundCloud stuff. Sometimes it's hard being an artist, Bobby. You just, you know, that's just the way it is. I know, I know. You know, the first video was real ramshackle, but as I kind of learned new things, it started making every future video take longer because when I know I can do something better, yeah. I can't do the worst version of it because yep. I know that I can do better. 
Yeah. You need someone like Jeff in your life to push you to put out just stupid things and like all kinds yeah. of random stuff all the like time. Like Sean, we're just going to put out everything that we can. And if it's crap, it's crap. And if it's so crap, we will be hard on ourselves to make sure it's not crap next time. But we're just going to shove it out, shove it out, shove it out. I will say that I have learned a ton by doing that, like by making a ton of mistakes in the public eye. But, um, you know, I think that it, it does bring you to a place where you're at, which is like, I need this. I need some sort of perfection. But that's the artist. Right. And every artist is different. Like you got, yeah. you know, you got the Bo Burnham's and like the weird Al Yankovic's and Steve Martin's of the world who perfect something before they release it into the world. Right. That's their whole yeah. style. They want something perfect before they put it out. And it's just everybody does what fits their personality. Yeah. 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 I uh I just put out a new video yesterday, not trying to self plug or anything. Yeah, no, you should, you should. But uh, in in the uh in the spirit of you know putting out something that's not great, this is intentionally not great. I made a <laughs> I made a parody of the Twelve Days of Christmas called the Twelve Days of Mischief, awesome. where you know you've got three servers struggling, you know one long queue, five golden Afridi boots, stuff like that, <laughs> and you know I recorded all the vocals for it. And I listened to it and it's like, oh, this is okay. But then I thought about it some more. And it's like, this is already a joke video. Let me re-record these vocals and make them worse. Yeah. Because if they're kind of good, then you know, people right. will be like, oh, he's trying to sing and he's still really bad. But now that it's bad, I can just laugh it off and say, No, no, it's intentionally bad. Yeah. I can really sing good. I'm just I just don't want to do it. You got any quick thoughts on mischief? What it's going to be like if you want a Peggy cloak and you keep killing Quillmane over and over again? And you're like, where's the Peggy cloak? I can't find it. What are you going to, yeah, what are you going to play? I'm currently planning to play an Ogre Shadow Knight. Hmm. I always try to play a Shadow Knight and then my guilds always end up having a hundred of them. So then I re-roll to a cleric as part of, you know, I'm a team player. I want to help. <laughs> and then I always end up hating it. So I'm just going to go a Shadow Knight this whoa, time. Whoa, and... whoa, Why do you hate playing a cleric? They're great to play. Face, face. Level mm -hmm. 55. That's Cleric's fun for a while, but, you know, I, sometimes it's fun to be the strong class. Wow. Yeah. Bobby, you can be honest, man. It's just because you, all you do is two things. You stand you heal and you sit, right? Yeah, I'm caught up on Netflix. I don't need to play a cleric right now. Wow. <laughs> wow. Dude, Shadow Knight is just the favored child of EverQuest. It's like yeah. the strongest class in EverQuest 2, and it's the strongest class in EverQuest 1. They just really love their Dark Knights. Yeah. All right, Bobby. Well, after that talk about the cleric, I think it's about time to wrap this podcast up. We are happy to have you back, but I need to go soak my head in a warm towel. We, can you tell everybody, where do you want to send people? So let's say people listen to this and they and you want to send them somewhere. You want to go to your YouTube channel, to your Twitch. How do they, how do they donate to you and support your artistic adventures? Now, the best place to reach me would be my Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash Bobby Bick, spelled like it sounds. Uh, there's a link to my discord there. If you want to like ping me or ask me any lore related questions or yell at me about the fact that I got something wrong. Uh, I will say, refer to the lore videos I put out. Uh, those are all correct. Cause, cause, because I had the research in front of me when I was writing them, this is all off my memory. I'm okay. not, I'm not always wrong. <laughs> hey, sure. You want well, I mean, percenters out there who know everything. Yeah. If you want, yeah, if you're going to double check, so can can you give us, um, or do you want us to link um, the latest video uh, uh, in our in our notes? That's something we do. You can choose any kind of link you want for for the end of our notes here. What would you like us to link to? Sure, I'll. Uh, I guess I'll send you a link to probably the first lore video I made, which is related to the creation of Norath. I think that's a good place for people to start out because it, it does go into like the nameless and how the the Council of Elements were made and the gods and all that. Cool. Sweet. Well, thanks for being on the show, Bobby. This was awesome. Thank you for bringing a whole new perspective. You know way, about, way more about lore than you let on, and I really appreciate it. I feel like I know more about the lore now, which helps me enjoy the game a little more. Hey, it was great being here. I'm really glad you guys invited me on. I'm normally a pretty shy person, but you guys are really easy to talk to, and I appreciate that. That's really nice of you to say, Bobby. We totally appreciate you coming and taking time out of your day and, and your life to spend a little time with us and um, definitely would love to have you back. I really appreciate the fact that you felt comfortable um, here. You're really easy to talk to and, and obviously have a ton of information to share with people. And I think people really enjoy that and love it. So you should all go check out Bobby. Um, we'd love to have you back. Be good, man. Thank you for coming on. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to hear more from Purple Elf Productions, check out Valheim Podcast, where Jeff and Sean explore the beautiful world of Valheim, a new survival game which is hailed as Minecraft meets Dungeons and Dragons. Journey with Jeff and Sean as they try to survive the harsh elements, bloodthirsty monsters, and deadly campfires.